Hello and welcome to series two of our Weekend Cumbria podcast, which is kindly supported again by Cumbria Community Foundation. I'm your host, Jenna Sutherland, and the Wellbeing Coordinator at Weekend in Carlisle. In this series, I'm going to be inviting some more real local people to share their health and wellbeing experiences and expertise in authentic and open conversations with me. Real people telling their own stories in their own words. Today is episode 12 and we're joined by two guests who are mother and daughter, Lisa and Amy. Amy's going to share her lived experience of struggling with her eating disorder and mum Lisa will contribute with how she dealt with that as a parent. So we're going to start with you, Amy, and chat to you first. Um, Do you want to take us back to let us know a little bit about how old you were when you first started noticing that you had a problem with your eating? Yeah, so I think it was about 12 when I first started struggling with what was then uh, much later diagnosed as anorexia and depression. Uh Um, I don't think I really knew what it was. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it was from about 12 and then I wasn't diagnosed until I was 17. Mm -hmm. So it was about five years of just sort of this cycle of struggling um, with sort of obsessive thoughts of food and restricting food and dieting. Um, and then I'd sort of get myself out of it and then I'd go back to it yeah. and it's sort of a low mood. Alongside. Well, that's a long time, a f- a yeah. five years. Um, so the, the, when you were 12, that mm-hmm. you started recognising mm-hmm. signs and I guess did other people around you start picking up on that? What made you go to, did you go to a GP to start off with? Or? Um, I don't think anyone recognised for, for those five years. Um, eating disorders are such secretive illnesses um yeah. I think they really thrive in silence so it was yeah five years of sort of not anyone really noticing and I think I hid it very wow. very well um I don't think I even realized that I was actually struggling and it wasn't until I was sort of in therapy getting help mm. later that I realized what that had been um so yeah and I, I was doing well at school um I was sort of, I had friends, I was quite social, I was uh, doing various activities, extracurricular. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it was on anyone's radar at all um, until things went really downhill when I was about 17. Yeah. And what did that look like? Um, so I'd sort of been, like I said, going through these cycles of really struggling, really feeling really, uh, really out of control. And I guess mm-hmm. food was my way to control it. Um, I'd always sort of been able to get myself out. So I'd struggle for a couple of months and then I'd get myself out of it Mm -hmm. and sort of live normally again. Um, And then I think this time I just sort of couldn't and I was really, really struggling um, and feeling very, very low. Um, And just, yeah, it started, I guess, it got to the point where I wasn't in control anymore. Mm -hmm. It very much had control over me. Um, And I think it was actually my mum who noticed mm. and opened up the conversation when yeah. I was 17 and that's, that's how it's got help. Yeah, so Lisa, that's a good place to bring you into the conversation then. So for the whole of this five year, had there been any signs or how, how was that for you as a mum um, when you did started no- start noticing? Yeah, so I had absolutely no idea for the majority of that five years. Mm. Um, as Amy said, she was doing really well at school she was probably 
she can be described as a high achiever, mm-hmm. always did well in her exams, in her schoolwork, school reports were brilliant. She was never any bother in out of school. She was doing her acting and extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had no idea at all that she was struggling for those years. And it was only, I think it was just before her 17th birthday, um, that we were just having tea one night. Um, and I was sitting opposite her and I think she maybe took a jumper off and she's got a vest up on underneath and for the first time I looked at her and I suddenly thought my god she's lost weight mm. but because you know teenage girls are sort of quite um, you know they don't go around you know they're in and out the bathroom by themselves mm. um, so you don't always see their bodies mm-hmm. um, and so I had, I'd never really noticed and I was just shocked by what I saw and we were sitting having like a family dinner and I just, I was really, really shocked. Um, and then I said to her later, you know, have you been losing weight, Amy? And she said, no. And I said, oh, because you look like you have. Mm. Um, and then later she did come and talk to me and said that actually she had been struggling. Yeah. But it was just before her 17th birthday. So for the majority of those five years, I was just completely unaware. Yeah. So can you remember that moment then when your mum first questioned you? Yeah, um, because I, like, no one had noticed I'd sort of, did the very sort of stereotypical things I could think of like wearing baggy clothes and no one really noticing um and we didn't often have dinners all together as a family purely just because of busyness mm-hmm. I had like a part-time job I was so often at rehearsals doing acting extracurricular so it became very very easy to hide as that I wasn't mm-hmm. eating food or hide sort of any difficulties I had with food I would sort of sort my I was quite independent I'd take my own lunch in um so I was very much in control of it so I think it was a real marker moment um and I think mum had also made a dinner that I normally quite liked Mm. and I knew that I couldn't say I didn't like it yeah which is normally what I would have done um so yeah I remember her asking me and it was a real real moment um of working out whether to ask for help Mm. because at this point I think I was really feeling very out of control and feeling quite desperate because I sort of knew that this wasn't um this wasn't right that stuff was getting really difficult yeah so do you do you feel like it was almost a relief that mum had noticed and it kind of gave you that moment that opportunity yeah I think yeah. so I think I was really conflicted um because um I think I also knew uh like the eating disorders voice was very very loud mm-hmm. uh, so I think I also knew that the minute I admitted sort of any sort of struggle any sort of control I felt I had would uh-huh. be taken away yeah um and there would be appointments and sort of questions and it wouldn't be secret anymore yeah um but yeah there was definitely relief yeah you speak there about the the eating disorders mm-hmm. voice what was the eating disorders voice saying um it was it wasn't so much as words, it was like a way of thinking. Mm. Um, so it would sort of completely isolate me and make me think, uh, it made me feel like it was a burden that people didn't need to know I was struggling. Mm-hmm. It would be easier for people if I just carried on the way I was. Mm. Um, and I don't think it was necessarily about looks, although that influenced it. Um, I think losing weight was definitely a way to feel in control yeah um so although on the surface it looked like it was about calories and losing Mm. losing 
losing so much, often eating disorders so much more than that. Yeah. And for me, it definitely was. It had a much deeper meaning. Yeah, and I don't think that's recognised a lot, is it? People associate it with kind of a, a, a body image thing mm-hmm. all the time rather than the, uh, the mental illness side of it yeah I think I think yeah I think it's so often portrayed as well in the media as this body image um it's it's always about surface level Uh, and I think you know most teenage girls do struggle Mm -hmm. with uh their bodies changing Mm -hmm. going through puberty um and there was that but actually yeah it felt a lot darker and a lot deeper yeah Uh, and because yeah Eden's was our mental illnesses first and foremost and I guess anything else is just physical side effects yeah um so when you got to 17 and you had this moment what came after that like you said you were worried about lots of appointments and things what what happened um it gets a bit blurry Mm. um I think we initially sought help from the school Mm. um my school had a school counsellor so we sought help from her um who referred me on to cams and then we sort of entered this phase that was almost like a waiting game yeah um with cams and trying to get seen but at this point everyone sort of knew so uh mum dad uh and the teachers were all sort of aware Mm. and keeping an eye on it uh so yeah I I was like it was just weeks of treatment Mm. trying to be seen by GPs um and me not really feeling any better in it in actual fact, just mm. feeling worse mm-hmm. because I didn't have that crutch, I guess, something yeah. that was... That control had kind of been handed over, hadn't it? And I suppose for you, Lisa, did you did you at that point feel like you had to try and take control as a mum? How, how did that feel for you? Yeah, I did. I think um, it was really difficult because I was panicking <clears throat> because I didn't... You never think that your daughter or your children are going to have eating disorders. Mm. You know, it's something you hear about in the news or in magazines or you read about, you don't think it will happen to you. Mm. So there was an element of panic um, and I just didn't know what to do. Obviously, as a mum, you want to make it better, but you can't make it better. It's completely out with your control. Mm. Um, And then there was the whole thing of trying to get appointments with people. So we could get a GP appointment relatively quickly, but then we had to be referred, as Amy said, to the CAMS team, Mm -hmm. eating disorders team, that all takes time. Um, when we did see them initially, the, they didn't seem to sort of feel the panic that I felt. So they would like, yeah, we'll put you on a waiting list. Yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. But all the time, every day, I was really aware, conscious then that Amy just had, wasn't eating very much, was getting more, seemed to be getting more and more ill. Or at least that's what it felt to me because I, I was just becoming aware of it. Mm. Um, and there was this element of rising panic, but just no help seem to be forthcoming really yeah do you you, just to find it interesting that Lisa your mum says it it felt like or looked like to you that Amy was getting more and more ill do you feel like you were at that point or was it just because mum had now started seeing it um I feel like I I definitely went on a spiral but it Mm. was much more maybe not a physical illness like it wasn't physically uh deteriorating it Mm. was much more mentally so my mood uh, sort of really uh, dropped and mm. it was sort of I'd struggled with low moods before up until this point and I think controlling food was the way to control that um so yeah I just felt much more helpless um and I think I lost a lot of motivation and mm. energy um yeah. so for the first 
time my schoolwork started suffering uh, because I couldn't concentrate. Um, I didn't socialize with my friends. It was sort of the first time that things were feeling really, um, yeah, the first time that stuff was, I guess, showing on the outside. Mm, yeah. Did you have friends that you could talk to at this stage? Yeah, I had a really good group of friends growing up, but I didn't actually talk to any of them. Mm. Um, I was sort of the listener mm-hmm. in the group. Um, so I think a lot of them were quite shocked when I when I eventually told them. Um, and it wasn't that I felt like I couldn't, it's just I didn't want to burden them mm. with it. I think I there's this um, lie, I guess, uh, that Eaton sort of often tell you that you're not ill enough. Mm. to get the help you're not ill enough to be worthy of any help or it's not a big deal you're just making a big deal over nothing um and I didn't want to be that Mm. so you're talking about the help there Mm. that you you did eventually get Mm -hmm. can you talk us through that journey and how that was yeah it um it all happened really quickly like it seemed like we were waiting for ages and then it all just sort of happened like within 24 hours mm. um things were really really drastic um I sort of sing food um and mum and me who'd never really argued was suddenly <laughs> um not arguing but it was just conflict because mm. I would to eat mum would get upset and want to help um and it would just sort of be this cycle and my mood was um getting worse and worse and I started struggling with self-harm mm. as well as another way um, and then it reached a point where I felt really, really low and really dark. Um, and I just felt that life wasn't actually worth living, mm-hmm. um, which was sort of the darkest place I'd been to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told my counsellor the next day that that's how I was feeling mm-hmm. and that I plan. And then it sort of all, it, it's almost as though if we were going in slow motion, suddenly we were like, yeah jolted into this fast paced mum was called from work I think like emergency appointments with cams school it was just this mad afternoon um and my friends were all sort of doing mock exams that I could mm. see them in the horn I felt like my life was sort of exploding at this point um and yeah it was just like assessment with cams and eventually um I got admitted to a general ward the weekend um until sort of think about what to do yeah how long ago is that now for you what age Um, are you now I'm 23 now so that was six years ago yeah about six years ago um so I was uh yeah I was put on a general ward yeah for a weekend so Lisa for you that you got a call at work yeah so I mean it was just horrendous because I got called to the school I mean the school were brilliant we couldn't have asked for better support Mm. and they kind of facilitated Amy getting admitted to mm. like the general ward which wasn't ideal because it was a, an adult general ward um you know there's no children's mental health units um in Cumbria or there wasn't at that time um so she would just was on a general ward like under 24 hour observations and until then the consultant came in on the Monday and they were ringing around places to try and find a, a bed and an eating disorders unit mm. um which we got the following week and then she was transferred up to a specialist unit in Edinburgh. Yeah. And what was it like there? What's what's that called? 
Um, well, it's actually, it's called the Huntercombe Hospital. Um, it's an independent hospital um, and it was funded by our NHS. Sadly, it's closed down oh. now, um, but it was fantastic, wasn't it, Amy? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. It was, I mean, it was incredibly difficult, but um, the care I received there was, yeah, phenomenal. And yeah. I definitely wouldn't be uh, here or where I am now mm-hmm. uh, without their help. Yeah. And where are you now? Um, I am, I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. I'm, uh, studying mm-hmm. at drama school. Yeah. Um, I'm up in Glasgow, uh, the Royal Conservatoire mm-hmm. and yeah, studying there. Um, started there in September, uh, and I'm living up there in a flat with some friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really, really good. And do you have ongoing support or therapy? No, no, no. So after that admission, um, I was in that sort of specialist mental health unit, um, uh, just shy of 11 months mm. I think it was. it was it was a long time um and then I was discharged back into the community um which is a difficult transition mm. and then I sort of went back to school repeatedly and received um care then from sort of CAMS and adult team I was discharged from all mental health services about three years ago wow. maybe mm. That'll have been quite scary in itself, was it? When when you've had all of that wraparound care and support, mm-hmm. how what, how did you feel about that, Lisa? Yeah, I mean, it was scary when she came out of hospital because mm. the care and the support was so good, mm. and you know, you've got like she used to come home for weekends on leave, but there was always that sort of blanket there of support, that cushion. Mm. And then when she got discharged, like Amy said, sometimes when you get discharged from hospital and you think, oh great but actually it's just the next stage of your recovery and it's almost more difficult being at home and as Amy said reintegrating back Mm. into school back into your friends and that's a really difficult stage of the recovery so that following year was really hard as a parent because as well I was on tenterhooks always like not wanting to mollycoddle her but thinking has she had enough food today she's skipping her snacks Mm. we're in constant contact with the school um having meetings taking her to appointments sometimes once twice a week um you know we're very lucky to have got that care yeah um and as Amy said, she wouldn't be here today without that. Um, but then sort of when that care finished, you know, she moved into adult mental health services because she was an adult by then. She was 18 um, and that continued. And then it just sort of seemed to be like a, a natural progression, really, um, that she had had a lot of therapy, intense therapy. She'd managed to sort of sort out in her head um, what was going on and, and just looking forward to the future, which was mm. just something that two years previous, we never thought we'd see that. Point. Yeah. Wow, what an incredible journey and just so brave of you to um, offer to sit here and talk to us about it today as well um, and I, I genuinely think that for other people listening, as always, hearing somebody else that's actually been through something that you might be experiencing or similar to what you might be experiencing is just amazing. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and I know that you both want to talk about some of the work that you've been doing recently. Lisa, do you want to start about that? Um, yeah, so for about um, eight or nine years, I've been doing a little bit of work with Lancaster Medical School. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got into that um, because I'd had a mental illness previously, um, not eating disorders. Um, so somebody asked me if I wanted to sort of start becoming involved with the medical students Mm. Um, so I started interviewing them and then when these trainee doctors they sometimes it's called expert patient work so um, rather than the medical students sort of being let loose on Mm. real patients um, they get the opportunity to talk to expert patients at people that have 
mental illness mm. and sufficiently recovered to be able to talk about their experiences. So I've started doing that um, and it's just something that I've continued um, alongside my full-time job. I just do it maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last year, um, I wondered if Amy might like to do it. Yeah. So I asked her and that's something that we both do now. Um, we get interviewed by third or fourth year medical students. Um, it's done remotely um, and it's really helpful. I find it helpful. Amy can talk about her experience of it, but it's really helpful because when you've had a mental illness and you've been through um, treatment and especially if you've been hospitalised, you can feel quite disempowered. Mm. Um, and talking to the medical students, you actually feel empowered. Yeah. Um, you feel quite positive that you're having a positive impact and mm. you're helping to kind of shape future doctors, yeah. um, inform them about your experiences. Um, so it's something that we really enjoy. We do get a small like payment for it but that's not why we do it we do it because yeah. it's just something that is it works two ways it benefits them and it also it it helps us yeah I think it is amazing and and exactly why, why I'm saying um thanking you for being here sharing your story as well because that's feedback I've had from other guests on the pods is that actually where initially you might come in to share your story in the hope that other people hear it and it helps them but actually it, it's really important for you to have that kind of platform to to kind of be able to share your story and talk about it and open up that conversation how's the experience been for you yeah it's it's been really really good um it's it, it like my mum said it's very empowering and I feel like it's um it's a way of giving something back mm. I feel um particularly our NHS are incredible and I'm so so grateful to them uh, and to have received the care I did, I know not everyone is is that lucky, but to be able to shape sort of, you know, future doctors and shape the um, the intake of doctors that we're mm-hmm. going to be seeing is really, really empowering. And on a very personal note, um, I just feel very, it, it, it's, it's, it is a nice platform, like you yeah. say, to, to share the experience, share the story, um, particularly when, sort of day to day now like I I count myself as fully recovered I don't struggle with eating so sort of mm. food is just food for me I can go out for dinner with my friends I, I it doesn't bother me um and I'm very happy and lucky to be able to do that but to be able to speak about it it sort of makes me realize how far mm, I've come yeah. um and it I, I think it keeps me yeah it, it makes me feel very grateful yeah. of where I'm at now So for anybody that might be listening, who recognises any of that within themselves that might be struggling with their eating, what would your, given your experience, what would your advice be to them? Um, It would be to speak to someone, which I know is the hardest thing to do Mm. when you're struggling with an eating disorder, particularly if you're sort of being told lies by that eating disorder that you don't deserve the help. But it is to speak to someone. Um, It's to know that um, what you're going through is real and it's valid and you deserve the help um, speak to someone you trust whether that's a parent or a teacher or a friend um, or look for help further afield yeah um, there are a couple of brilliant charities um, Beat uh, which is sort of uh, a brilliant eating disorder charity that I've used several times uh, they offer confidential help and support uh, mm-hmm. they have a helpline they have online chats uh, where you can chat to 
um, who can give you advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Samaritans are another great charity um, that you can ring or you can email if you don't fancy speaking on the phone. Mm. And I know there's a lot of information on those types of websites for loved ones of people that are struggling with eating disorders. So the same question to you, Lisa, I suppose, if anybody's listening, maybe a parent or a loved one who might be concerned about somebody else. Yeah, so as Amy said, BEAT is really good because Mm. um, they don't just um, provide support for the sufferer or the eating disorder, but um, family as well. And they have a section there for parents and carers. Um, So that's sort of quite good information. But also as a parent, just speaking to um, anybody, I mean, we were lucky we had a whole network of support. Mm. So the teachers at the school, GP, um, in the hospital, there was family therapists. We had quite a few sessions of family therapy, which was quite painful at the time but also really helped mm. we had good follow-up care and also just friends anyone that you can reach out to you don't have to speak to somebody that is a definitely a health professional or got experience but just sometimes picking up the phone or talking to family or friend just to offload a bit mm. um that's really really helpful and i probably wouldn't have got through it without that network of support yeah Yeah, I think as ever with lots of the topics that we cover on on the podcast, we kind of always seem to wrap up with um, start a conversation, it being the best bit of advice that we can give to anybody. And and this is episode 12 of series two as well. So I suppose it's a really lovely way to wrap up the whole series um, for anybody that's been affected by any of the topics that we've covered um that's what we're all about really at we can is we're just trying to connect humans who are sharing the same lived experience and open up some really important conversations so thank you both so much for being here and amy for so bravely sharing your story with us really important no thank you um yeah i always feel like you can feel very isolated when you're in it but there's always someone out there who gets it yeah so no one's ever alone Thank you. Thank you for listening to the We Can Cumbria podcast. If you're affected by any of the issues raised in any of our episodes and would like to talk, then please do get in touch. You can contact us via our Facebook or Instagram pages, which you can find by searching We Can Cumbria. 